following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. Hey, everybody. This is Laurel, executive producer of Forbes Podcasts at Podcast One. My colleagues and I are about to do a taste test of Chirps Chips. So let's open the bags. All right. Open the bag. All right. Who's tasting first? Or I'm doing it right now. Okay. Oh. They're so delicious. If you've ever had, like, bean-based chips, it tastes just like that. Oh, cool. Hmm. All right. I'm going to do barbecue right now. Hmm. They're not bad. I wouldn't know I'm eating bugs right now. Okay, I'm mm. going to try cheddar. Go, go cheddar. I'm going to try to cheddar. Mmm, that's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I like crickets. Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. Today, Rose Wang is with us through Skype. She's the CEO and co-founder of Chirps. Chirps makes a bunch of food products, including chips, dry cookie mix, and protein powder. And it relies on the base ingredient uh, that's unfamiliar to most Americans, although it's a little familiar. Just let's take a listen. So, Rose, welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you share uh, how this started, just the origin story? So this all started actually with my co-founder, my college roommate, um, Laura, was in Tanzania, and she was studying abroad, and she saw a street vendor selling fried caterpillars. And she didn't know what to think of it, uh, thought it was kind of disgusting, um, but she thought, okay, when else am I ever going to try this again? So she bought one, she put it in her mouth, and her first thought is, hey, this tastes like lobster. It was very serendipitous because while Laura had eaten a caterpillar in Tanzania, I was uh, abroad in Beijing, um, and I had my friends dared me to eat a fried scorpion. And it seems like it's a common travel story when you go abroad and there's, you know, street food and all sorts of different types of food, uh, indigenous to that culture. And so, um, when I was there to eat the scorpion, I also was extremely terrified. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if you dare me, I'm going to have to do it. So I uh, closed my eyes, put it in my mouth. Um, and I had the same reaction that Laura did, which is, oh, this tastes like shrimp. So I related right. it back to seafood. Which actually makes sense if you think about it, because insects are essentially seafood of the land. Um, similar taste, texture, um, flavoring. So when she got back to the U.S., she started researching, why are people eating bugs in Tanzania and not here in the U.S.? Um, and upon further research, we realized that insects are one of the most sustainable protein sources available. So, for example, it takes 2,000 gallons of water to make a pound of beef but only one gallon of water to make a pound of crickets. And so we decided, okay, we're going to be the ones to bring insects to market. And um, the next question was, how are we going to do that? How are we going to get Americans to eat bugs? Um, so, you know, in that experience, we realized that this actual thought of eating insect was much scarier than the actual process mm. of eating. Um, and it's much like a roller coaster, I think, you know, going up that roller coaster is so much scarier than coming down. Um, 
so how do you take away that fear factor is really what we were going for. So we started, uh, you know, experimenting with sorts of different kinds of insects. We tried crickets, um, different types of like mealworms, met waxworms. Um, we really liked grasshoppers, but, um, there's not a, a big supply of grasshoppers. So, you know, we tried the variety of different types of insects and we also tried different ways of cooking them. Right. Um, and we worked with a chef in Boston. We were in Boston at the time. Um, so we'd go after school, um, after restaurant hours and just work in the kitchen. Um, and so we tried like frying them, um, dehydrating them. We tried, um, even, uh, fermenting them. I mean, we just tried so many different experiments and every test we came out with, we would then try it on a bunch of our friends in college right? to see whether or not they would be into it. Um, and what we found out was people were scared of this ooey gooey aspect of insects. So, um, you know, think of the fear factor, the slimy. So we were like, okay, how do we go totally away from that and go crunchy? Um, and that's how we came up with the idea of a chip. We're like, okay, what's the most mainstream, our favorite snack? There needs to be more mm -hmm. innovation in the chip aisle. And so what we do is we make chips with cricket powder. So what we do is we take crickets and then we put it into uh, like a tortilla chip. And so you can't really taste it. That's where we are. And what is the gateway bug? I mean, is it crickets? Yeah, I think the industry has decided that crickets are the gateway bug. And the reason why is because crickets have one of the highest protein uh, contents. So it's about 70% protein when dried. And it is full of other nutritional benefits. Like it has four times more B12 than beef. It has more iron than beef. It has um, more fiber than broccoli. It's just like it's an incredible nutrition source. Um, but then the other part is that Crickets have a six-week life cycle, so we can build up our supply very quickly. Well, tell me about the stigma that you face because it's, it is weird when you think about it. Like It's like that line in Reservoir Dogs where they say you tip these people over here, but you don't tip these people over here. You know, It's like why is it okay to eat uh, shrimp but we can't have cricket? Why is it less socially acceptable and, and how have you bumped up against that? Yeah. Well, it's something that we're socialized to think. Um, if you think about, you know, little kids, they're in the backyards um, digging up worms and putting it in their mouths. So it's not something that we're biologically born with to be scared of, you know, worms or mm -hmm. crickets, things like that. It's something that we're taught over a long period of time. So growing up in the Western world in America, where um, if this from day one has been drilled into us that this is disgusting, it's gross. Um, then that's what we're taught to believe. But there's actually many other cultures around the world where um, people eat insects pretty regularly. In fact, there's about 2.5 billion people who eat insects pretty regularly. So it's not that weird, but it is a cultural um, phenomenon. So something that we like, we realize that what we're doing is not just we're not just a food company. We're really trying to change people's minds and and getting a cultural change here. So. Um, our, our vision is much bigger. Our mission is much bigger. Well, I know that you started on Kickstarter and built a whole campaign. Can you talk about that experience raising money? And also, what was the impression that people had when you had this idea and, and you were going yeah. out and looking for money? What, what kind of a response were you getting? So we had this idea about three and a half years ago. And um, at that time, like organic was still on the rise. So food trends have dramatically changed in the last five years. But um, when we first started, like, 
you know, even thinking about local produce was new. So like, forget about cricket flour. Um, and mm-hmm. we, I remember going to our first conference, we met up with an investor and he had graduated from Harvard business school, like had been an angel investor for 10 plus years. And, um, and so we sat down, we talked, the first things we said, were, we're like, Oh, we're so excited. We really want to make the world more sustainable. And the way we're going to do it is getting people to eat bugs. And he just like went silent. He looked at us. He was like, I've been an investor for 10 years and this is the worst idea I've ever heard. Um, so it's pretty crushing in the beginning where like everybody told us that we were crazy. This was never going to work. Um, and maybe it was, um, just being really young and naive, but I think that worked in our favor in the long run, because now I think if we went into an idea that people said, this is not going to work, I think it's like, okay, maybe I should think about something else. But back then we're like, no, we can, we can make it work because it just makes sense. Um, and so we like went on a, I think a long road to, um, trying to get this cultural change awareness to happen. But it first started with Kickstarter because we couldn't get any investors. Um, So we're like, okay, let's see if we can get customers to buy this. Because we see Kickstarter as a pre-order engine. So um, we launched a Kickstarter. We asked for $30,000, which is more than any really food Kickstarters um, usually raise. They usually raise any five to $10,000. So we're ambitious. We broke it down. We're like, oh, you know, if each we had three co-founders, so if each of us bring in like, you know, two hundred people and each orders about forty dollars, mm-hmm. we can pretty much cover it. That was kind of our thought. Um, the the reality is that it's not it's not what happens. <laughs> Your friends and com- family come in and they give you about five thousand um, dollars total. And right. so I remember after the first night, we're like, okay, so we have five thousand dollars. How are we going to get to thirty thousand? We totally freaked out. Um, but we got really lucky where the editor of Yahoo, um, they picked it up for the, the blog or the, the food blog. Um, they wrote a small article about us and then, um, they got so much traffic that it landed on their front page the next day. Um, and we were fully funded after three days and then went on raising about 70,000 at the end of um, a month. And taking a quick break to say that this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next, and nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Well, you have what so many... Uh, entrepreneurs are looking for. I mean, even just calling you a bug entrepreneur is you, you have a hook that people really, uh, it draws focus. And I saw your TED Talk, uh, which is available on YouTube. And uh, you, you know, it, you have people right at the beginning with that hook. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, how, how useful yeah. was that in going around and just being able to pitch it with one line where people, even if they are a little uh, repulsed initially, it's it's better yeah. than them just looking at you with a glazed expression. I totally agree. However, I also believe that every company can have a hook. It's just all about how you think about it. So what is the key to finding that? How do you How do you boil that up? I think it's it, you have to play on people's emotions, and I think that's what most entrepreneurs forget about, um, because they end up like making a very rational argument. But really, like if you can relate it back to some emotion, whether it's happiness, sadness, um, you know, annoyance. Like I think for a lot of 
entrepreneurs are they're solving for a frustration or a pain point. So if you can really bring that emotion out of someone and then say, okay, we're fixing that. Um, I think that works, but most people don't. They just say, oh, you know, we're the Uber of the Tinder of the, you know, right. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's no. like in the movie business saying so-and-so meets yeah. so-and-so, such-and-such meets – rather than just thinking about what it is that you have. Correct. Now, what? how big is the, the company now? How many people? Yeah. Um, so we have about five people um, and – that's about as big as we're going to be for a while because for food companies, we have a co-packer that, you know, makes our chips. We have brokers that do a lot of the sales. And so for full time, we don't need that many people. So what does the operation look like? Like where, where is everything, the nuts and bolts and where's the distribution line? How does it work? Yeah. So food company is vastly different from tech companies. Um, when, when you're dealing with food, you're dealing with a physical product. Um, and so the way it works is we, basically order all our ingredients, um, including the cricket flour. So we now get our cricket flour from a farm. We used to get it. We used to just buy whole crickets and try to mill it into a powder ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, now we're doing such large quantities that that's not really feasible. <laughs> right. Um, so now we have a cricket farm and cricket farms all, we don't have a cricket farm. Sorry. We uh, use a cricket farm and there's several different cricket farms all across North America. And they produce non-GMO, gluten-free, fed crickets. Um, so it's extremely healthy. And they um, they actually send us the powder. And then we also order all our other ingredients like chia seeds, bean flour. So it's, it's a pretty healthy chip. Um, we take it to our co-packer. It's in Northern California, um, even north than, uh, more north than San Francisco. Okay. Um, they make the chips. Um, either our distributors come and with their trucks to pick it up, or we send it to a fulfillment center, um, or send it to Amazon, and um, then the sales are made. So really, in office, all we have to do is make sure that um, we're getting the word out, we're managing the flow from beginning to end, where products go, um, and you know, managing our relationships with customers, things like that. So. It's a it's a pretty great business because you can outsource a lot of it. Um, so it's low overhead, but it's a lot in terms of product costs. And how when you say get the word out, how important is doing stuff like this or doing media or have like how much does that help you? Yeah, it's it's kind of intangible. Um, I think it's helped us a ton because when we started three and a half years ago, nobody had heard of this idea of eating bugs or cricket flour. Um, I'd say three and a half years later, at least in San Francisco, you get one out of every, you know, two people. So like 50% of people have heard about this or are really excited about it. Um, and it's, we were on Shark Tank. So now like another huge demographic has heard about it. Um, so the awareness piece is really important. And I think with a product like ours, like telling people once is not enough. They have to see it like, oh, you know, they saw it on Shark Tank and then now they're seeing it on Forbes and now it's like in their grocery store. Right. So like something, it has to take like a one, two, three punch, one, two punch before um, people really get used to the idea. So I think that's the challenge of the hook, right? Like, yes, we are like a first mover and one of the first people doing this, which makes it exciting and makes us pioneers, you know, all these buzzwords that people use that people want to be. But on the other hand, um, that means that we're going to have to work harder and you, it's, it's a higher marketing cost in terms of education around the, the item. Right. Well, you know, I'm just watching a video of you right now. I'm looking at you walk in, eat what bugs you, right? 
on yeah. Shark Tank. Now, what was that That's experience right. like being on in in the pressure cooker of uh, network television on Shark Tank, which was just this past year, right? Yeah, it just it happened very recently. Yes. How was that? It was incredible. We had a really positive experience. Um, it's kind of surreal because you see these people on TV all the time, and um, I think it makes it less nerve-wracking when you actually see them in person because then you're like, oh, wait, they're actually human. Because I think when you read about people or you see them on TV, they're, like, hu- supersized and, like, unreal in your mind. So right. I think seeing them uh, in real life helps. And the other thing that – so the thing that we were most terrified about was – you know, these are investors, but they're also entertainers. So you don't really know like what they're going to say when they eat your chip. Like if one of the sharks had said, oh my God, this is the worst thing I've ever had, or this is disgusting. That's like kind of it. It's their decision if they want to make it a good show or a bad show, right? It's kind of out of your hands. It's up to the editor. Exactly. And do you feel that they did you justice? They totally did us justice. I think what happened on air was pretty much just a shortened version of what happened in real life. And so ours was like pretty sequential, very like on the point of what happened. So we were extremely happy with our episode. People were, yeah, the sharks loved chirps. We, um, I don't know if I should ruin it, but uh, we, we got a, a pretty good deal at the end um, and from our dream shark. So it all worked out really well. Well, there you go. And speaking of which, how much, where are the investments coming from now aside from uh, Shark Tank? Yeah, so we still we have angel investors, and we're still trying to stick with angels for now. Um, and the reason why is because when you work with an institutional investor, um, the returns they're looking for are just not really realistic for a product like ours right now. Like, we're not going to be able to make a 10x return in the next two to three years, um, and we don't want to disappoint anyone like right. that. So. I think the way that you know we're going to work is we need investors who really believe in the mission. Um, and, and, and our mission is not just, okay, let's put cricket flour and chips and, and sell that. Not at all. This is what we see as our gateway right. bug food. Well, who are the you angel know, Our investors? vision is really like, angel. who are the angel investors? Yeah. I mean, they're all over. They're you know, executives in education companies, tech companies, uh, angel investors in food. So right. pretty reputable, smart individuals. And breaking for a minute to say business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. Uh, and is the company profitable right now? A lot of startups get asked that question. And, and the answer is we could be, but we choose not to be. And I think we would 
be doing the wrong thing if we were profitable because it means right. that we're not growing. Well, that's honest. So um, what, does that, what does that mean? You're reinvesting anything you have into the business so that you're not showing – you're showing a loss or what does it mean? Yeah, it means that – you know, if, yeah, so exactly. So we're reinvesting that money. So if we make any profits, we're just opening up new accounts and then doing marketing promotions, things like that. You know, we could be in like right. 50, a hundred stores and be very profitable. We're last year, we were in 25 stores. This year we're in 400 or sorry. Yeah. At the beginning of the year we were in 25 stores. So now we're already in 400 and we're just growing very rapidly. So again, it's like, you know, I could choose to stay still, but that's not how right. we operate. And there's enough runway for you to live in the mission. Yes. There you yeah. go. Right. Well, right. we're well, well, so I know the mission has a very like it's one of the more expensive places to live. And I think Laura and I have become very creative about uh, <laughs> how we live. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like no, we're I not know. I, it's tough. San Francisco is unlivable. I lived there for a while until I just couldn't do yeah. it. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It really depends on what you need. Like Laura and I okay, well I'll be like totally honest. We yeah. make like close to minimum wage right and like most people are like how do you live off of that in san francisco and it's like it's really it depends on what you need like i live with a family that's been in the mission for 15 years so i have super rent control Mm -hmm. i have my own bedroom but i do share a bathroom with eight other people right and and my co-founder laura actually shares a bedroom she i mean she loves it she like is a people person she needs to be around people all the time (laughs) so that works for her that's that's around Uh, people all the time yeah yeah, yeah. And, and when, in fact, when we first started moving, or when we lived in San Francisco, um, we lived at a co-op that had 70 people, one of those, like, hacker startup houses. So I think when you're young, like, you don't have many, like, material needs. So it's, right. it's totally doable. It'd be different if we had a family. And how do you split up the responsibilities with you uh, and your co-founder? And how are you getting along? Yeah. <laughs> You, that's a great question. Um, so my co-founder at Laura does most of the sales and she's, right. she kind of dabbles, does a little bit of operations. Um, we have an operations manager as well. Um, and we also have lots of brokers who do sales. We have another co-founder, Meryl, who does all the design work, social media, you know, web website. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do the marketing and fundraising. So that's how it's split. And how about to the last question, how you're getting along? Because it is hard. It's a, it's a long slog that you have to go through, and you're saying a lot of the same stuff. You, you know, it's, it's, nobody knows you better than it. It's like, it's, it's like a very difficult marriage without all the upside of marriage. <laughs> it is a marriage, and it's a marriage that you don't – like it's not like you dated, right? So you like get married to someone, and then – you have a baby immediately and yes. then one person is like has one religion and one person really like wants to live another somebody's part of the traveling house or lot, another part somebody's of the, messy. the yeah. world. Yeah, and it's like, okay, now go and deal with it. <laughs> That's like kind of how I started this feeling. Um, so I think that like the best thing about our team is that we're, we're all so different. We're very complimentary and Laura's like the heart and soul of this company. She just – really believes in the mission. She is an ideas person. So she like thinks of these crazy ideas all the time. So one of the things that we did was we broke the world record for the world's largest nachos. Mm-hmm. So it was like 5,000 pounds of nachos. Uh, and we were able to donate most of it to um, San Francisco homeless shelters afterwards. But, um, you know, we invited an entire city of San Francisco to come and celebrate with us. Um, and like, we wouldn't have thought of that except Laura, like just right. really amazing. Well, uh, 
What yeah. is what are some of the what's the biggest challenge that you face right now with uh, with chirps? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge still is how do you st- how do you become a habit like something that people yeah. eat all the time and not just novelty. Um, like with anything cricket related, I think people think, oh, I'll try this once and never again. Um, and so for us, we're really careful about looking at how, you know, do we stay in stores? How many repeat customers do we have? And so our numbers are looking pretty good. Um, people really like our chips because they just taste like chips. And I think that's the key is if you create a fantastic tasting product, it doesn't really matter what's in it, you know, and if it's healthy, people are just excited about it. And remind us the stores that you're in now where people can find you. Yes. Um, we're in a lot of natural food stores, um, mainly by Coastal. So we have a store locator on our website. If you're looking for a store near you, just go on our store locator. And let- Chirpschips.com. <laughs> Chirpschips.com. And then what about any new products or uh, business initiatives that you're rolling out? Yeah. So one of the things that we noticed, it was a lot of our customers asked for the cricket flour. And um, they just they didn't just want the chips. They wanted to figure out how to add it to their bread, you know, their pasta, your shake in the morning. And so we started selling the powder itself. And, and people have been coming up with some really creative recipes. And that's right. been exciting for us. Are there any recipes that you can give us uh, that, that you play around with that, that include some of your, your special ingredient? Yeah, absolutely. We play around with recipes all the time. In fact, we crowdsource that from our customers. And so, you know, one of my favorite recipes that someone made was a banana bread with cricket flour. Um, the earth, like cricket flour has a nutty uh, flavor to it. So it really adds to the banana bread. It gives this like umami flavor. Um, and so if you, yeah, it's incredibly delicious. Um, you can also put it in, people have been putting it in just the bread that they eat. So a lot of vegetarians who are looking for more protein in their system, um, you know, adding it to your carbs really works. Yeah. Does the, does eating crickets, uh, is that pescatarian, pescatarian or what does that qualify as? It's intotarian. Intotarian. Uh, we, we actually came up with the word. Um, so my co-founder Laura has been off and on vegetarian her whole life. And, um, one of the struggles she had is she loves to work out. She's, um, active all the time, but being vegetarian, it was really hard for her to stay vegetarian, um, and get all the iron B12, um, that she needed. And so the cricket flour actually is a great option. If you, it depends on what, why you're vegetarian, but if you, um, really oppose the, the whole, um, factory farming system, the inhumane that way that the animals are raised, then crickets are actually a great option for you. Um, because crickets don't have pain receptors. They have a very limited central nervous system. So the way that they are harvested is extremely humane. Um, They just go to sleep and then they just die in their sleep. And um, we don't even know if they really feel it. So, you know, if you are going to eat a protein source, you might as well eat insects um, as as a complete protein. But really leave it up for the for people to decide themselves. So not all vegetarians do eat insects, but... Anything else that you want to add? Um, yeah, I think for us, the big thing is if you are listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, I would never eat this, I challenge you to go out and ask a kid, whether it's your kid or, you know, another, your your sister or brother's kid, um, just ask them, like, would, would you want to eat a cricket chip? And I guarantee that most kids are just going to be so thrilled with the idea. Um, and so always, you know, come to us and, and just like liven up someone's, some kid's day. I think that 
if we can open up the possibilities of what's what's possible and um, switch our protein source from something unsustainable to sustainable, we could really change the food system and really reverse climate change. All right. Well, Rose, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to have you. And uh, good luck. Good thank luck. you guys we'll so be, much. We'll be thinking of you as we as we snack on this uh, this uh, morally sustainable chip. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. Hey, humans. David Smalley here from the Dogma Debate Podcast right here on Podcast One where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work. Religion, politics, abortion, racism, slavery. And that's only when we open the Bible. We discuss Islam, Islamophobia. What does that even mean? We chat with vegans, animal rights activists, and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves. I invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview. But as long as they're okay with being respectfully challenged, you better bring your evidence. And I never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds. So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Watch our 360 virtual reality videos on the Podcast One app and download Dogma Debate on iTunes, Stitcher, or PodcastOne.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the Border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.